0: Easy. And then the rest of your family just hoped that you were a nice guy and that you'd maybe share. (laughs) Um, And so that's kind of how this was set up. And so this gentleman calls out from the crowd and he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Apparently he was not the older brother. By the way, I'm also not the older brother, so... We don't live in this century anymore. It's not this works. And Jesus says to him, he rebukes him in front of the crowd. He says, who made me to be this kind of arbiter? He said, I, I'm, I, I'm not here for this. This is not what I'm here for. And then he warns the crowd to be aware of, of guarding themselves against all kinds of Greed. He says, because even if you have an abundance, your life doesn't consist of your possessions. He's giving them a warning about longing too much for the material things of this world. Now, notice what Jesus does not say. We need to get, before we go any further, before we get too deep into the sermon, we need to pay very close attention to what Jesus did not say. He did not say, as some Gnostic versions of Christians try to say, that material possessions are completely wicked and wretched and evil and that you shouldn't have any of them. He didn't say that. He didn't even say that it's bad for you to accumulate a decent amount of wealth or to become what their society would call wealthy. He didn't say that that was wrong either. A lot of times we approach these sorts of texts and we go, you see, you know, you can have too much. And, you know, we start sounding very much like... um, certain politicians on TV today. Well, once you hit a certain amount, you really just need to be forced to give it away to other people. I mean, every, I mean well, unless you're us, because you know, those laws never count to the people in power. Say, so, Philip, you're meddling. It's close enough to time. It's time to start meddling a little bit. Jesus didn't say that. He said you need to be on your guard against what material possessions can do to you. Had a professor a long time ago, he summed it up really well in a little quip. He said, there's nothing wrong with having stuff so long as your stuff doesn't have you. And so this is the point that Jesus is about to make. And so he tells a parable of a rich man. For most of the people in this crowd, that would have been a parable because almost none of the people in this crowd would have been considered rich. They would have heard the story and gone, huh, I wonder what that must be like. It would have not been their world. Most of these people would have been day laborers. Some of them may have had some resources, especially the religious leaders. But on the whole, they would have not been familiar with what Jesus was about to say. And he tells this very intriguing parable about this rich man. And I want, I want us to notice how this parable fleshes itself out. First... I want us to notice the subject of the first sentence. The land of a rich man was very productive. Notice that the subject of the sentence is the land itself, not the rich man. The man was not rich because of himself, but because of the blessing of the land, because of the kindness of God. Let me clue everybody in on something. There are no... Self-made men or women on earth. Not one. Oh, how dare you? How dare you? You don't know what I had to go through and the things that I had to do and the efforts that I had to put in and the long hours and the sacrifices and the this and that and the other. If you're one of those self-made people here today and you're offended by that statement, let's strip it all the way back to to its bare essentials. Whatever it is that you did to do well for yourself... Was built off of the resource supply given to this world by God, and had that resource supply not have done what it needed to do for you, you never would have accomplished anything. It's that classic story where the atheist has this vision and he meets God, and the atheist is like, "Look, you know, I don't believe in you," and he's like, "I understand that," and he said, "He said, but let." I'll tell you what, let, let's see who really is the greatest. You and your lack of belief for me as God. And, and the atheist says, okay, well, what are we going to do to show that? And he says, I'll tell you what, let's have a, a person-making contest. atheist says, great, I'm a geneticist and how this works, that's awesome. God said, we're going to do it the old way though, we're going to start with dirt. Cool, that's great. And so the atheist goes to scoop up the dirt and God said, whoa, 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 whoa hold up. You got to get your own dirt. <laughs> Everything you have. Everything that you've done, every, every, the very breath in your lungs that lets your brain work properly by keeping you alive, by keeping oxygen in and blood flowing and the ideas that flow from that, this is from the hand of God. And so notice that when Jesus starts the story about the prosperity of the rich man, he doesn't start with the rich man's ingenuity. He doesn't start with the rich man's ideas. He doesn't start with with the rich man's work ethic. He starts with the land that the rich man was working. The land of a certain rich man was prosperous. It did well. But then notice the shift that the rich man makes Immediately in the parable, the the, the rich man in the second verse, verse 17 of this parable, begins to sing a worship song to himself. Look at what he says. And he, the rich man, began reasoning to himself, saying. What shall I do? I want you to follow all the eyes in this. He began reasoning to himself. What shall I do? since I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many good things laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This is one of the most self-centered, self-oriented things you will ever read. Me, 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 my, 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 what will I do with my crops, my barn, my grain, my goods, my soul, my ease, my food, my drink, my merriment. And at the end of this, God calls him a fool. But God said to him, you fool. Now, we need to ask the question, why does God call the rich man a fool? I, I want to tell you one of the reasons why he doesn't call him a fool. He does not call him a fool for making future plans. There are other places in the scripture, particularly in the Proverbs, that speaks of this as a wise thing to do. I know it. finance planners sometimes when they hear preachers are going to preach from this text, get a little nervous sometimes. What's he going to say that nobody should come and put money in retirement plan? It's not what Jesus is saying. This is not why God is calling this man a fool. He's not calling this man a fool because he made some plans. That's not the foolish thing that this man did. Why else is he not calling him a fool? He's not calling him a fool because he had wealth or great possessions. Consider Abraham and Solomon. They were considered blessed by God. Two of the wealthiest people to ever live on our planet. I read it's been a many years ago now, but I read a guy who did like a currency conversion over against land space possessions and influence and all the stuff that they go into net worth value. And they did like a, a adjustment for inflation. And if Solomon were alive today, the trillions of dollars that he would be worth as far as net worth went like it, it would make all the richest people that we know seem like impoverishedly poor compared to Solomon. God never condemn Solomon for being... God made Solomon wealthy. <laughs> like, that's one of the blessings that he gave. He said, since you didn't ask for this stuff, you asked for wisdom, I'm also going to give you wisdom and this other stuff because of your wisdom. So he's not calling him a fool because he had advanced plans. He's not calling him a fool because he had an excessive amount of wealth. Why is God calling him a fool? This man in this parable is a fool because he believes that he has no need for God In his life. Because of his material possessions. He doesn't thank God. For the productivity of the land. He doesn't thank God. For the abundance of the supply that he has. He doesn't thank God. For the resources at his disposal. To be able to build larger barns. To store up for the ease of his life later on. And to make good and wise plans. He doesn't acknowledge or recognize God. At all in this scenario. It's me, 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 me. Look what I have done. Look at my possessions. Look at how great I am. This man is a fool. Because his material possessions have blinded him. To the great spiritual need that he has of God in his life. Which is exactly what Jesus says in the next verse. He says, but... God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? You're worried about all your stuff rather than worried about your soul. What did you say? Philip, you you're stretching. What was the last story just about when we were here together? Don't be afraid of the one who can do what? Take your life and that's it. Be afraid of the one who can kill you and condemn your soul to hell. And then this guy screams out from the crowd and Jesus tells him this story of this man. And he says, there was this rich man who was a fool. Why was he a fool? Because he was more worried about this life than he was about what was going to happen to his soul when this life was over And friends, material possessions can very much get in the way of seeing our need for God. There's a lot of roadblocks to the gospel in Western culture. Some of them are the very bad expressions of nominal Christianity that exist. And we've talked about some of those as we've walked through Luke poor testimony of those who are true believers, the the false gospels that permeate the culture because of ecumenism and other kinds of things. But one of the things that we're always very hesitant to acknowledge is that even in our poverty, the official government standard of what they call the poverty level is considered wealthy in most third world countries in the United States. the Western world has such an excess of abundance that even the poorest of our poor would be considered doing quite well everywhere else. And that can become a significant barricade to acknowledging a greater need beyond the material. If I have food to eat, and I have shelter, and I have clothing, And I have generally good health or access to the sort of health care that keeps me in generally good health. I rarely have to face my own mortality. I rarely have to arrive at a place of feeling the need of God. And Jesus said very plainly elsewhere, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because wealth is bad? No, because wealth is blinding. And when I have everything that I need, and if I don't have it, I can work hard enough to get the money to go and buy it, I don't really feel a great tug in my heart for the need of God. And I have to confess that there have been plenty of times in my own life where I've allowed sections of a day to go by, and my praise song has been a praise song of self, much like the parable of this rich man. Hey, look what I'm doing. Look what I've done. Look what I have. Look at these things. Look at me. Look at my... Look at! And no thanking of God, no acknowledgement of him, no recognition of my need of him. Because, you know, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty good on my own. And I've actually had people brazen enough in our culture when I've tried to share the gospel with them to basically say that directly to me. What, what do I need your God for? I'm doing fine all on my own. This is the story of this rich man. He's a fool, not because he's doing well. He's not, fool not because he's planning for the future he's a fool because in his present moment he doesn't acknowledge the greatest deepest need that he has which is faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ to which Jesus then turns the corner to the crowd and he begins expressing some things about worry and he tells them to not worry about their life And he touches on two of the most important aspects of life that we have. Eating and clothing. Says don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to put on your body. The necessities of life. The necessities of life. If you don't have food. And you don't have covering against the elements. You're going to be in trouble really quickly. Really quickly, I was watching a, a couple of years ago, a survivalist show. And they were talking about, you know, what would you do if you got if you were out in the wild, you got separated from the group you were with and you suddenly realized that you needed to be able to try to stay alive long enough for people to come and find you. And they were kind of walking through what what are the first steps that you should do? And the guy that was the survivalist, he said, you need to do things and you need to do them in this order. Number one, you need to find a source of fresh water. Said so you can live many weeks without food. You can only go a few days without water. You need to find a fresh source of water. Do that first. Find a place where you think you can drink the water without getting too sick. Step one. Okay. So find your fresh source of water. Said so Step two, build a shelter. So because if it starts raining or if it starts to get cold or if the sun starts beating out and it gets really hot, you're going to need a way to protect yourself from the elements. So get a source of shelter and then step three, try to find something you can eat. Top three things you need to stay alive, water, food and shelter. Clothing is a version of shelter. It keeps the elements off of us. Come this next Tuesday when the Siberian cold front thing moves through that they're saying is supposed to be coming to Texas, creating unseasonably record-based lows, you'll want to make sure that you found something to wear other than your flip-flops. Just saying. This This is a good warning to people in East Texas. Because we have a strong tendency. I've already done it once when it hit near freezing. We find the fleece, but we don't find the pants and the shoes. So we're rocking the shorts and the flip-flops with this fleece. Come on. I know everybody's going, mm, yeah. And you're and you're standing there going, I'm not cold. Yeah, right. Okay. So shelter, clothing, it's important. These are necessities. Jesus is not minimizing something that is significant. He is informing them, listen, I need you not to worry about your life. And they go, okay, that's cool. I won't worry about my life. All right food and clothing. Hold up, Jesus. That's kind of a big deal. Like I'll die if I don't have these things. Like what? And then Jesus continues. He says your life verse 23. For life is more than food. The body Is more than clothing. Jesus is pointing to a greater. Spiritual reality. Friends you have to eat to live. You have to cover yourself. To stay alive. But your life. Is about more. Than this physical life. And so many of us spend so much time chasing after those things that are deemed the necessities of physical life that we spend the most majority of our life in neglect of the greater discipline of cultivating a healthy spiritual life. Because every day that I pursue clothing and every day that I pursue food and every day that I pursue water and shelter, I live a vibrant life. And I feel as if I'm doing well. I feel as if I'm succeeding. I feel if I'm accomplishing something great. And my spiritual life is an invisible life. And I don't see the immediate benefits of feeding that life. And so I see the immediate benefits of taking care of myself physically. I don't see the immediate benefits of taking care of myself spiritually. And so my spiritual life becomes neglected. I don't give one care for it. Yet I overwhelm myself with consuming concern for my physical life. And Jesus says, your life is more than food and clothing. There's a whole lot more going on here than that. And friends, we're apt to forget it. And then he uses examples from nature. He talks about the ravens. They don't reap, they don't stow, they don't have storerooms, they don't have a barn, yet God feeds them and you are more valuable than the birds are. And then he asked a very profound question. What benefit does worry really give to us? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? I have found in the years that I've been doing pastoral counsel for people when they have concerns, one, maybe two, Out of every ten times somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm really going through something heavy and I need some help. One or two of those is usually legit to the issue that they're worried about. One or two. The other eight or nine, they're worried about something that may or may not, and more likely not than may, is ever actually going to happen. They've become consumed with the what if and their whole life has become distracted from functioning properly, trusting the Lord and engaging life as it actually is. Because but what if? And Jesus asked a very profound question. How many of you can add one hour to the length of your life? By worrying about any of this stuff. How many of you can do this? By the way, I'm going to give this answer away on the pop quiz. None of you can. I know somebody in the back's going, oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, you know. no, none of you can. You cannot. That is the work of God. God has marked out our days. Can worrying extend your life? No. Can worrying solve your problem? Not usually. Not usually. Consider his care over nature. Notice he then uses the plant life and speaks of the lilies. He said, consider the lilies, how they grow. Neither do they toil nor do they spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory didn't clothe himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass and the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into a furnace, how much more will he clothe you Oh, men of little faith. And then Jesus in these next statements that we're very familiar with about seeking the kingdom and 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 and, and pursuing God's righteousness and these other things being added to us. he, He is essentially asking a question. Why do we worry about material things of this life to the neglect of the spiritual? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? And he encourages us to seek first the kingdom of God. Do not seek what you will eat. Do not seek what you drink. Do not keep worrying. For all of these things, the nations of the world, he's talking about pagans who don't have a true and right relationship with God, they eagerly seek these things. But your father knows that you need these things. Listen, God knows you need something to eat. He's not unaware about this. He knows that you need clothes to wear. He's not unaware about this. He knows that you need shelter and he knows that you need clean water. God is aware of these things. It's not catching God off guard, nor is he surprised about your need of basic things for your physical body to live. He's aware of this. He's aware of this. And we really, and I'm about as guilty as anybody else is on this, but we have really got to drop out of our Western vocabulary, the standing in front of our pantries at our house or the standing in front of our doorways of our closets at our homes going, I don't have a thing to eat. I don't have a thing to wear. When we've got a month's worth of supply of both sitting there that we haven't touched in ages. The expiration dates go out on food more often than we eat it in our Western homes. We really need to drop this ridiculous lingo from our speech patterns that we don't have a thing to eat or a thing to wear. God knows we need this stuff and overwhelmingly for most of us, he has provided it. And yet we keep worrying about it. I mean, not to be weird. I could not go to the grocery store for a month And not run out of food before all of my stuff's gone from the canned goods that we have and the stuff in the freezer and all that kind of thing. I could, I could wear clothes, different clothes every, might not be fitting to the social circumstance, but I could actually wear different clothes every day for a month before I'd have to wash them before I even thought about running out of things to put on. We don't need to talk about these sorts of God. Well, what am I going to no, God knows and he's provided abundantly for most all of us. What should we do then? If we're going to worry about something, what should we worry about? Verse 31, but seek his kingdom. Friends, that's the invisible spiritual realm. The invisible spiritual realm. Realm. The rule and reign of God over our lives through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Friends, seek that. In the other gospels, he says, seek that first. Predominantly, preeminently. Let it have the chief place of concern in your life. If you want to worry, listen, we're worried in people. And as Chad prayed, and he was prayed correctly, that we are forbidden from worrying. But if you're going to worry about something, worry about the one who can cast your soul into hell. If you're gonna fret and be concerned and exercise a lot of emotional capital and energy into something, concern yourself first with His kingdom is what Jesus is saying. Seek that first. In verse 32, friends, when I was prepping this this week, this was overwhelming to me. I almost thought about scrapping the whole sermon. And only doing a sermon on verse 32. And I'm not all the way done prepping for next week, so it might still happen. This was so overwhelming to me. I know I've read this verse before. I have forgotten this verse was here. It was, it was deeply moving to me. Do not be afraid. Listen how tender this is, little flock. For your father, Has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Whoa. (laughs) Not to give you a seat at the table, not to give you a crown of glory, not to give you a robe of righteousness not to give you a seat on a throne. All of these things are also true because they're said elsewhere. But listen very carefully to the, the offered gift. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly, not under restraint, not under compulsion, not under uh, uh, being prodded, not being goaded, not being having his hand forced, not... Uh, In angst, not in frustration. No, he has chosen gladly with delight and with joy to give you. Lakefront, no. City view, no. The kingdom, the whole thing. The whole thing. Little flock, He. it's pluralized. All of you, not just me, not just you. All of you get all of the kingdom. And God, who is the king, is giving it to you with a smile on his face. And all he asks us to do. All he asks us to do. Stop worrying so much about your physical life. And what you're going to eat. And what you're going to wear. And maybe start spending a little time being worried about this kingdom that I'm giving you. Because it's yours. And what was the great original mandate that he gave us? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And now we are children of the kingdom and not just children of this physical world. And so what is our mandate now? Have dominion over the kingdom. You are co-heirs with Jesus Christ Himself. You're seated in the heavenly places on a throne. You will judge the angels and all of the wicked. You will be rulers over the new heaven and the new earth. You'll be crowned with glory, crowned with life, clothed with righteousness, and feast at my table. Please be concerned about the kingdom that you have reign over. To which he follows up. Sell your possessions, give it to charity, make money belts which don't wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. We have to be careful with verses like this. Jesus is telling us to get rid of all of our physical things. No, he just told you you've got to have food to eat. There's entire movements in the history of the Christian church where people have gone too far. Christians are notorious for going too far. One way or the other. You need to make a money belt that doesn't wear out. How do you do that? By laying up treasure in heaven. Be concerned with the spiritual kingdom. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, I know from personal experience and constant need to repent. When I pray, when I ask others how I can pray for them, when I consider the things of life that are most distressing to me, First and foremost on my mind is rarely the spiritual. It's almost always the physical. So-and-so needs a job. So-and-so needs help at work. So-and-so has been sick. So-and-so needs this. So-and-so's kid has this health problem. So-and-so is having some sort of an emotional distressing point of contact in a relationship that starts to blend the two worlds a little bit. So we're getting a little bit closer when we start praying about things like that. But more times than not, it's the physical realm that is most concerning. Rarely, even in pastoral ministries, do I lead with the question of, how is your pursuit of the kingdom of God? Hey, I, I get you're worried about the health thing and the job thing and the family thing. But how is your pursuit of the kingdom of God? Is it what you're seeking first? Is it what you're most concerned about? Are you a little bit more worried about the one who can kill both your body and cast your soul into hell? Or are you only worried about those circumstances that might hurt your body? I'll confess, I don't lead with that much. I really don't. I don't pray to that end as often as I should. I don't cause my own focus to turn to that the way that it probably should. And if I had to guess, if I had to venture a guess, I would say many of you probably don't either. And that's the reason why this parable and story has to be here is because we, when left to ourselves, are going to worry about this physical realm more than anything else. And Jesus says, i tell you what. My father gladly wants to give you the whole kingdom. Maybe, just maybe, you can stop worrying about this world that's passing away And start worrying about this kingdom that will endure forever. Let's pray together. Father God, please. Help us in your grace and in your compassion and for your glory. To not be so concerned with things that pass away. Things that are temporal, things that do not last. And rather, Father, help us. To gain an eternal perspective, you have gladly given us the kingdom. You call for us as your children, as stewards of that kingdom, to seek it first, to let it be the preeminent focus of our lives. Father, forgive us when we don't. Aid us by your grace to be people who are heavenly focused. Who are concerned with the eternal. Who are concerned with the spiritual. Who are concerned with the ways the gospel makes itself manifest in our lives. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're about to have a time of response together. There will be people at the front and in the back that you can pray with, ask questions of. Otherwise, you can stand and just join us as we sing a song of response together.